Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. All right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That was a doozy last night. Obviously not the result you wanted out of it, but when it's a bowl game not a playoff game I'm not saying you're happy with the result but how could you not at least admire the comeback and the effort and the heart that the team showed and feel like they are going in generally the right direction with a positive arrow we're going to break the game down all day long here on the show we're going to be joined by Matt Tate normally with us on Tuesdays he'll be joining us today in about 30 minutes from right now we got all sorts of audio from Lance Leipold some player audio we'll get to and plenty of KU football. Objectively, one of the best college football games you have seen in recent memory. Just unfortunate of how it ended up finishing for so many reasons. And certainly some of the negatives that led to the deficit, that led to you being down, that led to you eventually losing the game, those deficiencies are still there. Like the defense, like that has to be addressed into 2023. But you can't argue how much this team fought all season long. It wasn't just last night in coming from behind. They did that all year long. They did that all year in year one of the Lance Leipold era. It it sucks because it felt like they deserved that win and for you to come all the way back. like You don't see that, whether it's a, whether it's a movie, whether it's actually what happens in sports. A lot of times when a team makes that large of a comeback, it ends up with the win. Right, like uh, imagine if KU in basketball would have made that large comeback for Carolina, and I get it, that's different national title game versus just you know the Liberty Bowl, but and, and then didn't come through. Like it, it just seems wrong, and it is, it's wrong. That they ended up losing that game last night. Um, before we get into the two point try at the end in triple overtime, because we'll we'll spend some time on that. That obviously is a very big point of discussion from the game. Let's recap how we got to that point. So it actually gets off to a fun start. Kansas holds Arkansas to a field goal. Then they go down. They score a touchdown. Kansas is up 7-3, to three and it's like, okay, this is how it's going to be. Kansas is uh, going to be okay here. And then the typical season-long mistakes hit. You give up a blown coverage on a double move, which I don't know if that was on Romello Dotson because he fell down there. I don't know if that was his fault or if that was a too-high look where once he – you know, did basically the hitch route, Romello Dotson, they're telling him, hey, fall for that because you're going to have safety help over your head on either a cover two or a two deep that 
if you fall for the short route, we'll have Kenny Logan behind him. So I don't know if that was on Kenny Logan or Romello Dotson or just unfortunate somebody falling down. You, you give big blown coverage there. So now it's 10 to 7. Then you have the special teams gaff, which you have the um, just dropped kick return. And it seems like no matter who Kansas puts back to return a punt or a kick, it just doesn't work. Uh, obligatory, I'll say that Nick Springer's not with me today. He'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I'll just say this for him because I, I know he would want to say it, like stop returning kicks. But unfortunately, I don't think he could have an argument that time. He was kicked to like the 17. KU would have had to field it at, at some point. So that was just really unfortunate. And then you give up an, a, an immediate blown coverage for another touchdown. And all of a sudden, they have all the momentum. They're up 17-7. to seven. Then you go down. It looks like you're driving. It's like, okay, they're going to respond. We've seen them respond to double-digit deficits to West Virginia and Houston, and then, boom, they throw an interception on the other end of the field. Self-inflicted mistakes that, unfortunately, have been a big part of the storyline for Kansas this season, especially to them losing six of their final regular season games. Um, You know, it's it's so odd, and we talked about this before, the idea that for Kansas to be a team that made this type of a turnaround you wouldn't have expected it to necessarily look like this type of a season where they are still making this many self-inflicted mistakes and they are still struggling on special teams. But that all reared its ugly head last night, and even with the month off in between, it didn't really get fixed. Now, Kansas did hang within non-blowout range. They made things a bit entertaining at the end. It was 31-13 at half, um, and then it's 38-23, and it looks like, okay, well, they, they couldn't get that score when they're down 38-23, and then Arkansas gets the first down, and it's like, okay, they're just going to run the clock out. And then you found late life again. And, and you really showed that fight when it was 38-13, to but you have the fumble. Um, I know that was kind of a controversial call. I, I thought it was kind of funny that you got – I mean, we did our, our bowls of KU football past, and if you remember, when KU was in the 1973 Liberty Bowl against NC State, they had a, a punt return – that their player got like tripped and it should have been a flag on NC State, but they didn't call it and he fumbled the football. And that just like changed the momentum of the game. So I don't know, maybe this was like the Liberty Bowl rewarding Kansas uh, back with some positive karma there. So they end up getting the fumble. They go down the score. It looked like Arkansas had no idea that an onside kick was coming. <laughs> Kansas just recovered it. They go down to score. Jalen Daniels was just absolutely nails at the end of the game. Um, but, you know, even through all your faults in the game, like at the end of the day, what was most worrisome for me when you were down 38-13, to 13, it wasn't the defense struggling because that wasn't new. It wasn't the special teams making big mistakes because that wasn't new. Now, was it frustrating they didn't show any signs of fixing it with the extra time off? Sure. But to that point in the game, while those are and, and were both issues, the biggest negative from the game in the early going might have just been how shaky the offense looked. You couldn't run the ball. Jalen Daniels made those key interceptions and was thrown high a lot of times, just missing guys. And then you just caught fire as a team, including Jalen Daniels. You could not be stopped. The offensive line struggled a bit in run blocking. They were incredible in pass blocking. The KU receivers continued their strong play, just making contested catch after contested catch. Jalen Daniels throwing dimes into tight windows on the sideline, scrambling around, hitting guys on the run, scrambling when he needs to. The defense actually stepped up and, and made four or five straight stops. And as far as Jalen goes, I think with the way the second half went in overtime, you are more than confident that the guy you're getting 
into 2023 is the guy we saw at the start of the year. It's just about can he maintain his health? Because that second half was outstanding in everything that you think of when you think of a Heisman candidate quarterback. He was electric, and every time you had a big play, he converted for you. He was so, so good. Absolute star that you have on your team at quarterback, and just a good reminder of how good he is. But yeah, I mean, the defense, for all its faults, did have that stretch where they had, you know, four or five straight stops there. You get the onside kick, you get the fumble. Um, and who knows, maybe if you don't have the earlier fumbled kick return at the beginning of the game, what did we say coming into the game? We said if Kansas only gives up 31 points and forces a couple turnovers, I think you take that. And it's not that you would deem that a great defensive game, but for the expectations for what the defense is against a good Arkansas offense, knowing that you should be able to score as well, you would have considered that a success. Now, who's to know how the game goes or doesn't go if you don't fumble that kickoff? Like, what if you just punt? You have a three and out, even if you recover the kick, and then they score on the very next play because you blow a coverage? That's entirely possible. But also, if you don't give up that kick return fumble, there is a chance that you only give up 31 points and you do force the two turnovers and you end up winning the game. Like, seriously. Um, so I think overall, not a good game from the defense when you factor in how they started and some blown coverages and you didn't get any sacks, although they were they were close a couple times, just couldn't bring down Jefferson. And the fact that you give up 394 rushing yards and the fact that they were just going through warm butter with a, a steak knife in the overtime period. But I also don't think as bad as it was, it probably wasn't as bad as you might have thought it was. Uh, by the way, yeah, how about that onside kick? Great execution by Kansas and the nails of Jalen Daniels in the offense to go down and eventually tie the game. Jared Casey just making every like big play and, and adding to his legendary status. But like, um, yeah, Arkansas... They did not look like they knew how to handle a, a onside kick, which was uh, certainly interesting. So you get to the overtime, and I, I do think a sign of fatigue and depth with how the defense did really struggle in the overtime. Jared Casey was was obviously great and everything. And then in the end, you still have a shot in triple overtime, and you need to convert this two-point conversion to push it to a fourth overtime. And for it to end like that, after as large of a comeback as they made, after having all the momentum, after feeling like a team of destiny to lose like, that is just so tough. So, let's diagnose this a couple ways. Um, I guess, first of all, we should probably talk about that, you know, there were a lot of interesting decisions made along the way for Kansas over the course of the game. There was the fourth down that the Kansas decided to punt at the beginning of the uh, second half when they were down 18, like around midfield on, I think it was a fourth and three. And that had been a problem all year long. Kansas, like, not going for fourth downs, which is weird because, like, last year they were a team who went for it a lot. And you look at, like, the top of the Big 12 and teams they're going for it, like, those were, you know, bowl teams and, and good teams as well. Uh, so that's something you'd like to see them more aggressive on. And then you have the decision to, uh, when you scored a touchdown at the end of the 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 first half, you, you went for two as opposed to kicking the PAT which I, you understand the math because you were down 24, so you figure we need three touchdowns, three two-point conversions to tie it at 31. But the way that your defense was playing, it was like, are you really going to just hold them to 31 points? And if you would have kicked that PAT there, I know this might this one might be a little more hindsighty, so maybe I shouldn't do this. But uh, if that ends up being the case, 
then when you score that touchdown at the end of the game, instead of having to go for a two to tie it at 38, you would have been going for two to win the game, 39-38. Nonetheless, there were those. There was the, uh, what was it? It was like a halfback draw on a third and 10 before you had a fourth and six. Um, I don't know, maybe kicking the field goal, probably the right call when it was 38-20 because it made it a two-score game, but certainly looking back, if, if you would have gone for the fourth down, and again, maybe you could have won in regulation. Again, the hindsight ones are harder to blame on, but certainly the, the not being aggressive enough on the fourth downs. Those are ones in the moment that that you're not happy about. Um, but the, the, the coaching decision that, that's going to be talked about the most is that two-point play call at the end of the game. I, uh, I I know some people would defend it, and, and I'm totally fine with that. And, and I will say, I'm not somebody who's just going to sit here and say, horrible play call, that was the worst thing in the world, how could you do that? There are layers to this. It is not a black and white situation. There is some gray area to this, and it wasn't just a complete failure of a play call. It was not. There were some things that worked on it. At the end of the day, overall summation, would I have made the play call or would I have hoped for something else? Yeah, probably. Um. I don't love the fact that you have Jalen Daniels who looked like the best player on the field from the second half on and in overtime. And like I said, how many times did Jalen Daniels come up clutch on a fourth down play, on a third down play, on a two-point conversion? Where Are you sure you would want to take the ball out of his hands? That's number one. And you end up giving it to Jason Bean. Now, it's, it's, it's tough because... Leipold mentioned post game how it was their sixth two point play. In fact, here, here's the audio. Here we'll just we'll just play this because you kind of run out of those different plays on your call sheet. Yeah, and then the last play. You know, we struggled running the ball all day. Um, you know, we you know came up. You know, it's a play we've used before. Um, you know, and uh, you know, off the reverse. You know, whatever Philly special, whatever people want to call all the stuff. But uh, you know, and. Uh, I really couldn't see exactly what everything Jason's, Jason saw, um, whether he had the opportunity to run or not, try to make a throw, incomplete. Raise your hand for the next question. I, I guess one other thing I guess I can answer for that. When you, when you go for a couple two-point plays earlier and then you get into situations where you got to keep using two-point plays, it's not like you, you know, you're going to go to different plays. You just don't have a chart of like six of them, ten of them on your play call sheet. And, and uh, so, you know. Yeah, so basically what he's saying there is they, they ran out of their, their two-point play calls. Like I, I think they were going to run that play earlier. Um, it was the one that you had the targeting, and then you ended up being closer to the goal line. Um, so that makes it really tough. And I, I know I, I saw some people saying, well, why do you only have that few? Well, how many times have you seen a game where a team has to attempt more than even one or two two-point conversions, let alone six of them, you know? So, like, you feel like you're planned well ahead. It, it'd be like if you were like, you know, I have two spare tires at home in case I pop a tire, and then you pop all four tires. It's like, well... That never happens. You can't really plan for that. Now, maybe in the future they will start to plan ahead for 8-10 to 10 because of a situation like this. But what he was talking about there, I think, speaks very uh, with the running game. Kansas could not run the ball at all. They had under 60 rushing yards, under 2 yards per carry. If you're in a situation where you know, you're out of two-point plays but you're running well, you could just be like, just hand it up straight up the middle to Devin Neal, run a speed option, do whatever, you're going to get in. You're running the ball well. Like That's what Arkansas could have done. But Kansas couldn't run the ball. So you had to use those specialized plays. So it does lower the number you have, and so you do have to kind of go with what you have, and, and I understand that. And also from the standpoint of 
well, it kind of worked. Like, you had Mason Fairchild open. You also had the option open for the quarterback to run it in. So, from the schematic standpoint, from Andy Kotelnicki calling the play, it worked. Where where you lose me a little bit here, because I, I do... It was poorly executed by Jason Bean. I also feel very bad for Jason Bean. With everything he provided for the program and sticking around as a backup quarterback and winning you that sixth game to get you in a bowl game, it just almost felt like it would have been so deserving for him to come up with that play. But at the end of the day, you're not in this to necessarily play the feels game. And to take the ball away from Jalen, because you do have to factor that in. If I have a play call that has me throwing the football versus Jalen Daniels throwing the football, I might have the best play design in the world, but do you think I'm going to be able to make that play as well as Jalen is? Don't you think there is a higher risk of messing something up? If if I have, you know, my, um, I don't know, like a, a beat-up car and I'm trying to go on a, a country-long road trip, versus a brand new car, which car are you going to trust to get you across? The beat-up car might make it across. We might have a great plan. But which car do you think has a better chance of stalling out on the road? So it's like that. You do have to factor that in. It's not just all about the schematics. It is about the players that you're putting into those schematics, and you had a better chance of something mess up for a cold quarterback who hadn't thrown since, what, the second quarter when he threw that deep ball. So it would have been great for Jason Bean, but it would have also been great and deserved for Jalen Daniels, who was playing like, he was going to be the MVP and looking like a Heisman candidate in that game. I don't love that, that you took the ball away from the hands of, of your best player in that regard. But I also, like I said, I do understand it from certain standpoints. And to a certain standpoint, you could also say that the play did kind of work. But overall for the game, we take a deep breath. You take a step back. What a fun season for Kansas football. Super glad to get to talk about this team having a game in late December. We saw an exciting game that Kansas never quit. That could have easily been a blowout loss like the 2003 NC State game. We saw more reason to be excited about Jalen Daniels again. We saw more reason to be excited about the offense. They lost the battle of the game, but the arrow continues to trend up. And how could you not be excited about what 2023 could hold and possibly even longer after that for this team? Oh, and hey, Kansas still covered the spread, I guess. So maybe you still won your bet. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got some player audio after that. Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World joins us. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson here flying solo as Nick Springer is on his way back. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, also on his way back from Memphis at the uh, Liberty Bowl. And uh, normally we have Matt on on Tuesdays, but we had kind of a, a weird week and we decided to have Matt on today instead, which I think works out okay because based on what we saw last night, there was a lot to talk about, and that was sure fun. That has to be, uh, I, I don't know, I'll just I'll leave it open to you. Is that the most entertaining game? Is that the best game you've seen KU football be a part of, I don't know, since Mark Mangino's days? Yeah, I, I don't even think it's close. I mean, like, you know, the, 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 the overtime win at Texas, Obviously, with with Jalen and Jared Casey doing their thing, that was fun. But but you know, that was a, a a dead end season and a team going nowhere. And we know that it meant a lot for the program in that first step toward rebuilding and getting to this point. So it was significant, but it wasn't you know it wasn't the whole country watching. It wasn't 
it wasn't high stakes with a trophy on the line against an SEC team that you're, you know, trying to prove you belong on the field with and all that. I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. I mean, I saw some people throwing out like the the Colorado comeback that got Dan Hawkins fired. That was pretty wild. But I promise you, um, and I'm damn near the authority on this. I promise you that that game was crap up until that point. Um, and and you know and 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 last night, although. It, KU wasn't playing very well. Um, they, they, you know, it wasn't necessarily because they were just laying an egg or overmatched entirely. They were definitely physically overmatched a little bit, um, but they found a way and, and then made it a wild finish. I, I think it was perfect. Um, of course, you know, from the player and coach perspective, they would have wanted to win, but I really, I, I don't know. There was there was something about it that that in a weird way, like, it, it, it's almost, and again, this is an outsider's perspective, so I'm not, I'm not pretending that the players themselves would subscribe to this theory, but it's almost like they, they deserve mad respect for fighting, making it a game, setting all those records, showing they belong, you, you know, making their their brand and what this program, this new era is all about now under Lance Leipold on a national stage like that. It's almost like that that part you got everything you could want out of. And then the rest is, but you still lost the game. So it forces them to remain humble, hungry, and and still reminds them that, like, yeah, last night was cool, but we didn't win. You know, like we we still have a ways to go, and we still have work to do. And both Lance Leipold and Jalen Daniels referenced that in in their post game presser a couple of times. I mean, Jalen flat out said, "You know, this sucks, and we're going to go back home and keep that chip on our shoulder." And like to me, that that could benefit this team way more than a win would have. A win, maybe you feel yourself a little too much. Maybe you get arrogant. Maybe you get cocky. Maybe you get complacent, even. And and nothing intentionally, but just naturally, those things tend to happen when you win games. So, I think it was perfect, because Kansas showed beyond a shadow of a doubt that they belonged. Um, they had Arkansas on their heels after Arkansas hit them in the mouth and just kept punching, and KU didn't lay down, and they didn't quit, and they didn't fold, and... and um, and they almost won the game, and everybody saw that, and everyone knows that Jalen's a star and, and that this team fights. And so I, I think in a lot of ways, man, it was, it was a perfect um, outcome. Again, not being a player, not being a part of the program, of course you want to win. But, but I think for the continued trajectory uh, of this program, um, it, it, it may have ended up being sort of a best-case scenario. Um, way way better than getting the doors blown off, obviously, which for a lot, a lot of that game looked like that might be what it was happening. Yeah, how do, you, how do you kind of view the game from a standpoint of evaluating this team? Because in one sense, you know, they, they do lose, what, seven of the last eight games to the season, and the defense continued to struggle overall, though they did have that, you know, some big moments toward the end of the third quarter through the fourth quarter. Um, first half, the offense was making too many mistakes. The special teams' mistakes struggled. But at the end of the day, you almost overcame all of it, and Jalen Daniels almost put you on your on his shoulders, so to speak, toward the end of the game, along with you know a little bit of help from like an onside kick and, and some other things that happened. Uh, how do you properly evaluate that game as a whole and, and what it means for this team this season and where they're moving ahead into 2023? 
And I think that game had all the elements of what this team was in 2022. You know, that they, they had struggles. They, their, their defense was, was an issue. Um, they got down, and yet they continue to show that they have the resolve and, and the tenacity and the, and the fire to fight through that stuff. And, you know, some games that's going to work, and, and other games it's not. Um, the last thing this program is going to do or obviously wants to do is, get into a situation where they're like, oh, we're fine when we're down. No, that, you know, there's a little bit of confidence you can draw from that, but you don't want to make that a habit. That's, that's not the goal. The goal should be don't get down. And so I think that was a really cool capper to a really cool season. I mean, when you look at it at just face value and you, and you mentioned like you just did where they lost seven of eight after the five and oh start and all that, like, you know, all the haters and, and fans of other programs that want to point, at KU as a joke still, they can do that. Those those are there, but um, it's not correct. And anybody that's watched closely and paid attention knows that that this is a program that, that can and knows and believes it can line up and compete with anybody. And, uh, you know, you're going to get a lot, of, a lot of ridicule from K-State fans, but I guarantee those K-State players respect Kansas because KU fought them. And um, they didn't win that game either, but they fought them. And they went down and fought Oklahoma and lost that game. They went down and fought Baylor after Baylor had them beat, you know, a lot like Arkansas did. And and they made that a one-score game late. So I think this was the perfect way to sort of sum up what this season was about. It's, it's, It's a team that took a giant step forward and now needs to take another one. But the hardest one is usually that first one. And so... They understand how to be in those games now. They understand the, the, the little, small, minute differences between what wins and what loses. Um, and, and now they need to put all that into practice and, and go turn it into more victories uh, in the future. And, and the fact that there's going to be a lot of retention, the fact that they return a lot of guys, or at least should and are expected to, um, should help with that. I mean, I, I think they have a a really good uh, a really good opportunity here to to use all of these things and lessons that we're talking about and, uh, and and turn it into taking that next step but I don't think the next step or the next two or three steps are nearly as as massive and difficult and challenging as what this first step was I mean these guys believe they belong now they know they can compete and uh, that was something that was missing. And so I think that that's what last night was about, was, was so cool because it, it was a little bit of everything that we saw from this team all year. And, um, you know, they, they just came up short. But, but they could have won the game. Um, they, they, they belonged on the field. They fought with, a, with an SEC opponent that, that was in a lot of ways bigger, stronger, and faster at almost every position. And, uh, and they found a way to, to get it into one of the craziest games ever. Um, you know, I, I know the I know the Liberty Bowl people were over the moon excited about how much fun that was, and and you know while it was a good look for Kansas to compete and show up like that, uh, and obviously Arkansas taking home a trophy, uh, I think it was just as big for the Liberty Bowl. Liberty Bowl because that 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 a game like that can put that bowl back on the map, even right like. Now you think, oh, that's got a little juice. Remember how crazy the Liberty Bowl is? You know, people will, will associate that with that. And, and so, um, 
yeah, you, you know, you want to win your last game, you want to win all your games, of course, but I, I don't know that this team could ask for a much better finish because that we saw last night was who they were all year. I was talking with a friend after the game, and, and we were trying to figure out what do you think the expectation for next season is going to be? Because like you said, on paper, they should return a lot of guys, and, and you never know how it's going to go nowadays with the transfer portal and the NFL draft, and players are going to have decisions. But on paper, KU can bring back so many starters and so many others who may not have been starters but were basically starters with how much they played, and then you add on some other players. Uh, it, when, when you look at teams that normally win six games and bring back that many players and have a star quarterback, they're going to be expected to win eight or nine games. But also, KU could have a tough schedule. We don't know who they're going to play in the Big 12. We know they play Illinois in the non-con who went eight and four this year. And I guess just just big picture, you could convince me Vegas is going to set the over-under win total at like five and a half or six and a half. You could convince me it's going to be like seven and a half. I have no idea where they're going to go with this. If I gave you these two totals, which one do you think is higher? Kansas men's basketball, Big 12 home victories, or KU football, 2023 regular season victories plus one and a half? (laughs) That was hard to follow, but I like it. Um, Because initially I was like, well, you don't even have to continue. I'm going to take the men's Mm -hmm. basketball home victories. They don't don't lose at home. They're going to win nine games, right? Worst case is the worst. Right, yeah. Yeah, but you throw the one and a half in there, and now it's interesting. I'm still taking, I'm still taking eight or nine as as the over. I think this football program's in 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 a great spot, and I know they're going to be hungrier than ever because of last night. But the the very real possibility exists that things don't go according to and. It's not smooth sailing. This is still a grind. This is still a rebuild. This is still a work in progress. And they won six games this year. The goal and the expectation would be absolutely to do that or do better than that next year. But could you make a case where, where you know, maybe they only win four or five next year? I think that's absolutely possible. I don't think that anybody wants to hear that or wants that to be the case, but it's not a given yet, and and I think that again is probably something that that they uh, that they're going to relish and uh, and appreciate hearing whoever it is, people like me, national uh, analysts, whatever the case is. I, I I think that they are going to enjoy hearing that because they like being doubted. That they're comfortable in that space, and it brings out the best in them. So it's not. It's not any different than earlier this year when I when I, you know, picked them to win two games or whatever I did. I mean, I was wrong, right? Like dead wrong. They they were way better than I thought they were. Um, we've got a whole off season and a whole preseason and all that before we make a prediction that that really counts for next year. But as of today, since you're asking the question, it, it, to me, it's just as likely that they could take a step back and go four or five or three even. I mean, three sounds ridiculous right now, but like. Uh, you know, it, it winning games is hard. Yeah. It's it's very hard. Yeah. And, what if, what if so, the defense doesn't get better, and then some of the offense that we saw early in the season, teams have a full off season to prepare for. Again, we're not saying that's going to happen. It's just it's not impossible. That's right. So I think you know three, four, five is just as possible as getting back to six or or seven or higher. And and this year I thought the two or three number was like. 80, 90% way more likely than anything better than that. 
as we sit here today, I think it's genuinely 50-50, right? Like, I think they could take a step back 50. I think they could take a step forward 50. So, like, they've already gained on it there. They've already made some progress there. But I think I think this is a team and a group of guys that loves that. And, um, you know, they, they'd probably love to see a Vegas number of three and a half or four. And they'd probably love for everybody to pick them ninth in the Big 12 or tenth in the Big 12 again because, again, it just brings out the best in them. And that's what these guys – you know, are comfortable with. I, I know I said that a minute ago, but it really is. Like, Jalen Daniels is a star. And he, and I, I wrote a story this week, and if people haven't seen it, it's worth checking out because um, I had some fun with it. I mean, it was it was like, this is a guy that deserves and has earned the, the, the actual mention of being, you know, best quarterback in Kansas since Todd Reesing. It's hands down. And there's some really good quotes from Brandon McAnderson in there. I talked to Mangino. Like, it's, it's, he belongs, and I wrote that before last night. So him doing that made the story look even better, you know. So he's that guy. And, uh, and, and yet at the same time, he can be that guy and be a star and be, you know, arguably the best quarterback returning in the Big 12 next year and still be fueled by the fact that no one believes in him. And – still be fueled by the fact that he's an underdog and people don't believe or count on him to do anything great. And, and that's what's got him to this point. That's what's, that's what his teammates have, have enjoyed relating to him on and, and following him on. And I, I think this team would, would be missing something if it didn't have an element of that. So I don't think it's going to be a problem. I really don't. I, I mean, you're right that the Vegas number next summer will be really interesting. I don't envy Vegas either. I'll tell you that. Like usually they have it pretty down pat, and they can <laughs> they can pretty easily just print money and decide. Well, we know this many people are going to bet here, and this many people are going to bet here, and we're going to win. But with a team like Kansas, if you put it at four and a half, is it too low? If you put it at seven and a half, is it too high? I mean, what do you do? To me, one of the best, and, and I'm going to write this later after I'm, I'm not driving, but one of the best and most underrated aspects of what happened last night is from a recruiting standpoint, any recruit that watched that game, whether you're talking about a portal guy, whether you're talking about a high school guy, whatever the situation, like how do you, how do you watch that game and not think, gosh, that looked like a lot of fun. I want to go be part of that. Like, I'm telling you, I think that, that that Leipold and his coaching staff are going to be able to reach out to guys now and say, well, you know, hey, you, you might have seen us play in the Liberty Bowl. Did you, did you check that out? And they're going to go, oh, hell yes, coach. I want to come be a part of that. And I, I, I don't think we can underestimate how important that could be because that is modern football. That is college football at its finest. That is football we haven't seen at Kansas in a long, long time. And – and it was out there for the whole world to see. And, uh, and, and there's a whole lot of reason to think that there's more of that to come um, because of the coaches, because of the players returning. And they may be able to build and, and strengthen their roster just on the strength of how that game looked and, and, and what they showed to the country. So that, that to me, is a really underrated part of last night. And, uh, and, and I'm sure that's going to pay off for a long time. I mean, it's, it's a – Again, that goes back to what a great way to finish a season, you know, as good as you can do without winning your last game. Yeah, no, I, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Tin Cup, right? Have you seen that? 
Oh yeah. You know how at the end he doesn't win the tournament, but everybody that's that's the story of the tournament is is what he did on right. the last hole. I don't know that in five, ten years, I mean, how much are, are people really gonna be in ten years being like, Hey, do you remember the twenty twenty two Liberty Bowl? You know what I mean? But whenever it does get right. brought up, the story isn't gonna be, oh, Arkansas won. It's gonna be what a comeback by Kansas. And, and that'll always that's be That's right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like last night, right? They handed out the the list of, of 24 Liberty Bowl records set or tied in that game. You know, some by Arkansas, a lot by Jalen, um, some by Kansas, some by the two teams combined. I mean, right? But, like, it's showing you, hey, this record was broken. And then it says the old record was this guy. And it, and it takes you back, and you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, I remember him. Or maybe even in some cases, I don't know who that is, or I don't remember him, you know. Um, but But the point is, like, Whenever that happens again, if it happens again, people will look at those things, too, and go, oh, yeah, Jalen Daniels at Kansas. That was crazy. I remember that game. Like, and, and that's right. You, you're exactly right. They're not going to remember Sam Pittman and Arkansas ringing the bell on the field, which is good for them. You know, they, they, uh, they could have folded, too. Like, Arkansas, Arkansas should feel really good about themselves as well because Kansas steamrolled their way to tying the game up and had – could have easily won that game. I mean, Arkansas was was staggered and, and you know, couldn't see straight, and, and you just needed one more punch to knock them out. And and instead of going down, which, which you know, they did go down 45-38 to 38 when Kansas scored in the first overtime. I mean, at that point, Arkansas responded like a champion, too. And, and for a 6-6 six and six team that, that, you know, had some good times this year and had some bad times this year, um, that was big for them, too. And, and, like, they should walk away feeling like, yeah, hell yeah, we beat a damn good team, you know, and, and, and they're probably going to gain from that. So um, going into the game, you know, I, I, I even think Lance Leipold kind of said this on, on Tuesday. Like, I think he just was hoping that it was a well-played game, competitive, and, and, and both teams put on a show. And, and he said it in his presser last night. He said, I think everybody got their money's worth. And he's absolutely right. I mean, it was it was a hell of a bowl game, and and, and I've long been a, a, a believer that there are too many bowls. I've long been a believer that they should get rid of them. They don't mean as much as they used to. Um, last night changed my mind on that because that place was packed. It was loud. Both sides were into it. Both teams were into it. And that is what bowl games should be. It shouldn't be played in half-empty stadiums and bad weather nights on – on, on, you know, with two teams that, that don't even want to be there. I mean, it, it, bowls when I was growing up were, were exactly what we saw last night. They meant something, and, and that one meant something to both sides last night in a big, big way. So um, what a season, man. Like, people can hate on it all they want. They can say 5-0, and oh, and then you lose 7-8. of eight. What a fraud. You suck, all that. And fine, that's cool. But, but by Kansas standards and what they've done in such a short time with Leipold and and, and how long they've waited for something like this, um, that, that's, that's an incredible season. And, and one that, as you mentioned, I mean, that's going to be remembered for a long, long time. All of these guys are going to get the love they deserve years into the future. If they, you get this thing rolling again, um, th- th- they're going to be remembered. This team will be remembered as the group that got it going. And how many times, and you've been around too, Derek, but, but you know, I've covered so much of it. How many times in August or signing day in February have we heard from guys that say, I want to come to Kansas because I want to be part of the turnaround. I want to be, 
I want to be a part of something special. I want to be on the team that said we were the guys that got it going. And, and all of those guys fell short. They worked their butts off to do it. It wasn't for lack of trying. Um, it, it wasn't about any of that. It was, it was just, you know, some leadership issues, some talent issues. It just wasn't there. But this group finally got it done, and they're the guys that can say that now. And, you know, it's hard because there's a hundred some guys on the team, and you don't remember all their names, and you don't know all their names. But, but if anybody comes up to any Kansas fan in 15 years and says, hey, my name is such and such, and, yeah, I was on that 22 football team, that fan or those fans that they talk to are going to be like, hell yeah, man. You, high five, hug, love you. you. You guys were awesome. And that's cool. Like, that's significant stuff, and they should all be really, really proud. Um, I, I tweeted it last night, too, after I got home and kind of just uh, – or to the hotel and just kind of had a minute to, to breathe and think. And I, I've seen a bunch of bad football at KU, and, and a lot of people have. But that was awesome, man. Everybody showed up. The coaches, the players, the fans. Um, they all showed up and, and, and gave it all they had. And uh, they should all feel really proud of that program and, and the direction they're headed in because – that was a hell of a show last night. Well, Matt, I appreciate the time. You can uh, check out all his work, KUSports.com and in the Lawrence Journal Worlds. Thank you. Drive safe and uh, talk to you next week. Sounds good, man. Thanks for fitting me in. I, I also am glad you clarified the Tuesday-Thursday thing because I don't know that I've known what day it is for, for several <laughs> weeks now. So that that was huge for me. We've already got a weekend coming up, it sounds like. How exciting. That's right. Long weekend at that with New Year's Day. Appreciate it again, Matt. All right, Derek. Thanks, man. Happy New Year. That was Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Thanks to Matt for being very generous with his time there. As uh, We'll have plenty more KU football talk, including coming up in our next segment. More Lent Lightbulb audio and plenty more throughout the rest of the show. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool, and they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, that's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. No Nick Springer today. He should be back in action tomorrow. And on tomorrow's show, we're going to be joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Normally joins us on Thursday. It's just been kind of a weird week. So he'll be joining us on uh, Friday's show we uh, will also do our Florida Man Mad Libs that we didn't get a chance to do on Wednesday without a show and, and without Nick here. We'll have our game picks, more KU football talk, KU basketball preview ahead of the game against Oklahoma State. You can hear that Oklahoma State game right here on KLWN. Pre-game will be at 1130 in the morning on Saturday with tip-off at 1 o'clock. You'll also be able to hear the KU women's basketball game also against Oklahoma State, but they're on the road in Stillwater on Saturday a little bit after the KU men's game. 
Are you looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. All right, we've got some uh, some notes. We're going to have our offensive and defensive notebook coming up later in the 5 o'clock hour. We've got a bunch of Lance Leipold audio to get to you uh, through the rest of the show as well. But it is time for another edition of Derek's Deep Deliberations, KU Football Edition. Basically just notes and random thoughts about KU football that, that come to mind. Certainly, when the game was 38-13, to 13, did that not feel like Mark Mangino's first bowl game and and it felt like the comparisons were flying ever so high right we had the Mark Mangino comparisons of he wins two games in year one then they go to a bowl game in year two Lance Leipold wins two games in year one they go to a bowl game in year two and in that bowl game for Mark Mangino they got destroyed by NC State and Phillip Rivers and for a moment in time I mean, more than just a moment when it was 38-13, but through other times, even when it was 31-13, and Arkansas is looking like they're going to possibly blow you out or, or win big. It was like, oh, history is repeating itself. Now, on the positive, a team ended up making the Orange Bowl five years later, so if Kansas follows that path, then to make an Orange Bowl, that'd be a quarterfinal game. That would mean you'd make the 12-team playoff and either win your first-round game or get a bye into the Orange Bowl. All for that, uh, but what a response, and then it ended up not even being close at all to a comparison. Uh, I got a text from a friend that said, I'll tell you this, that was a lot more fun than that bowl game. So, uh, yeah, definitely a positive. It was funny. I hope people caught wind of this. When KU got down so big, I was starting to ride into the jokes of, well, KU just doesn't care to be there. I hope nobody actually believed that was actually the case. That's just the funny joke that every SEC school now, they don't even say it as a joke. They say it in all honesty. That if, if Kansas would have been the team up 38-13, you would have, that's all you would have heard about Arkansas. Nah, they didn't really want to be there. Uh, second, deep deliberation. Got your butt kicked on the offensive line. and or, or, I'm sorry, just on the line of scrimmage at both ends outside of pass blocking. Kansas's pass blocking was actually really good. It was one of their better grades of the season. Like, if you're looking at pro football focus, I don't even need to tell you that, Great, You could have just seen it with your eyes. How many times did Jalen Daniels just have all the day in the world to, to pass the ball? They ended up with an 88.1 pass blocking grade. That was their highest mark on the season on Pro Football Focus, shortly followed by Tennessee Tech, Iowa State, TCU, and West Virginia. All of those games were an above 80 pass block grade. Um, the run block grade, not great, though. You're a 54 Kansas struggled along the defensive line also. You also had a bad tackling game, which has kind of been the theme over the back end of things here. You, you didn't get a ton of pass rush on KJ Jefferson. You didn't have any sacks. You only had four tackles for loss. Um, certainly, you got close to a couple sacks, but couldn't bring him down, and that does matter. You have to be able to complete the tackle to complete the play there. It was noticeable, basically, is what I'm saying the difference in the SEC line of scrimmage versus what Kansas had, whether it was size, whether it was strength, whether it was physicality. Again, Kansas held their own in the pass-blocking side of things, but they could not move them in terms of the the, the run-blocking, being able to open up holes and being able to surge through on the defensive line 
to allow the linebackers to scrape through and, and make tackles at the line of scrimmage at the other end. Um, I think that it shows there's still a lot to be improved upon with, you know, the strength and conditioning. As great of a job as I think Matt Gildersleeve has done, I think he's done phenomenal work with improving the bodies and the strength and the conditioning of this Kansas program. It's a reminder that a lot of times those improvements and those overhauls that a program undergoes through the strength and conditioning coach and program, it takes three or four years in a lot of cases. And so now you'll have another full offseason, which will just be your second spring ball and second full offseason with this staff ahead, which is a positive. But uh, clearly there are leaps and bounds to be made because that was even with Arkansas not having Ricky Stromberg, their stud center, and their really good guard who moved over to center getting injured early on in the game. You didn't have Drew Sanders at the other end. Could have been even worse on the line of scrimmage. And uh, Arkansas, I, I will say, I wouldn't freak out too much the fact that, like, oh, that was just a 6-6 six and six SEC team's offensive and defensive line because that is literally Arkansas' strength. So even if Arkansas might have only finished as, say, the 8th or ninth best SEC team, it wasn't because the line of scrimmage, especially on the offensive line. Like, that, they had one of the top five units probably in the SEC. Um, special teams. Kansas just can't figure them out, man. It's really disappointing, too, that you had a month off in between and you still had the fatal flaw. You had the fatal mistake. I will say, you, you, you made all your kicks. Shout out to Owen. Gosh, I'm, I'm never going to be able to pronounce his last name. I'm not even going to try. Owen P, six foot six kicker. He's looked good so far. Uh, Seth Keller and Charlie Weinrich come in as transfers. I think he's going to give him a run for his money. He's going to be part of the competition, and, and you never know what happens. One for one on field goals, four for four on PATs. I thought your punting game was okay. Um, you had the long punt from Jalen Daniels, which you should have gone for it, but you pooch kicked it. The the other punter, you know, less than 40 yards per punt, which is not ideal, but they didn't have any big returns on punts. Still some special teams flaws in terms of maybe plays that you didn't field it. You could have caught it for a fair catch, and then you lose some yardage on, on the punt rolling through. But overall, special teams actually ended up with a nice game outside of the kick return that was fumbled. And unfortunately, the special teams game, the way that it goes with there not being that many plays, it's always going to be something where if you just have one disastrous play, like it's not like if Patrick Mahomes throws one interception and all of a sudden, boom, he has 40 other passes to make up for it. Special teams, you might have like 10 plays over the course of a game. If you have one disastrous play, that's equivalent to like four interceptions. You know what I mean? Just in terms of if you extrapolate it out. So unfortunately that carried the load, but led by the onside kick, which was very well executed, actually ended up being from that point on pretty okay special teams uh, for you. And that's something you have to get shored up. I don't know if it's hiring a special teams coordinator specifically, as opposed to having two of your assistant coaches kind of split the duties. I, would, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's the way that this needs to go, but also... What if you hire a special teams coach and he's not very good? Is it really any improvement? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, weekly gripe on the lack of aggressiveness. Why are you punting at the start of the second half there? What I mentioned um, with the punt, the pooch punt from Jalen Daniel, that should have just been a go-for-it situation. You're down 18. If, if you convert that fourth down and you go down, even if you get a field goal on that drive, make it a two-score game, 
hey, what do you know? Kansas wins in regulation. You never know how the game plays out and the ripple effects, but just add the three to the end of regulation. It's just, it's frustrating because Kansas is a team that as much as they have improved the talent and the depth and you do have a player like Jalen Daniels leading you at quarterback to where you do have some of that star power, there still is not a lot of separation between a lot of the Big 12 schools and Kansas still is at a certain point, you know, you're playing with a small margin for error. You might not have the talent of a lot of these other schools. And so you have to find those ways to win on the margins, even if you're not the most talented team. And one of those ways is to be aggressive on fourth down. I'm not saying go for every like fourth and eight, but when you're down 18 and it's fourth and three and you're near midfield, I I feel like you kind of got to go for that, especially when you consider KU's defense, not very good this year. 124th in the country in points allowed per game. KU's offense, very good this year. 21st in the country in points per game. And you have a beast quarterback in Jalen Daniels. I know which side I'm going to put more faith in to win me those situations. And what's weird is I don't understand what happened. Last year, Kansas went for uh, the second most fourth down attempts in the entire Big 12. So there was that aggressiveness that you love to see. This season, Kansas attempted just 17 fourth downs through the regular season. That number went up in the bowl game, but a lot of them were fourth downs that you had to go for at the end. And that, through the regular season, was ninth most in the Big 12, so second to last. Baylor, who had 47, Texas Tech, who had 46, almost tripled them up. And if you wanted to say, well, last year's Kansas team was 2-10, and 10. They, had, uh, they had less to lose by going forward on fourth down than this year's team. Okay, Baylor made a bowl game. Texas Tech won eight games this year after winning their bowl game. They, like, tripled them up. So it's just kind of odd considering those things. And that was my biggest kind of weekly gripe, week in, week out. Just some of those aggressiveness things. Like, even at the end of the first half, I know there's only 20 seconds left, and you have the ball at your own, like, 20. But you're down 18. I don't know. Maybe you're worried about the interceptions, which I guess would be fair because you had two of them earlier on. You don't want to throw another. But you've seen Patrick Mahomes go down in 13 seconds. Maybe you try to go down and get a field goal. I don't know. Maybe that one's nitpicking too much. But when you combine some of the the non-fourth down decisions or the late play call, it's just it's really tough for a team that has to win close games or win on the margins if you make too many mistakes and then you have some of those maybe not aggressive enough decisions to kind of add up. That is Derek's Deep Deliberations. I am Derek. Derek Johnson fame here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We have some uh, Lance Leipold audio we're going to get to you starting next. We've got KU football offensive and defensive notebooks coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. This is RCST. You're listening on KLWN. Depend on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab. And it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card too. So just go to the website, click hometown deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Five o'clock hour. Thanks for joining us here on another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson 
going solo with you today. Nick Springer should be back in with us tomorrow. Uh, coming up in our next segment, we're going to get to some Lance Leipold postgame audio from what he had to say after the Liberty Bowl from KU. Uh, we have a KU offensive and defensive notebook here in the regular season. We would split these up and, and do a segment each, but we're going to uh, combine both. We'll start with the KU offensive notebook. Just not enough complimentary football in the early going is is my you know first kind of note there. They obviously ended up catching fire and doing more than enough to win the game offensively. But in the early going, you had the two turnovers and plus territory when you could have got points. Um, I don't know if you would. I mean, the special teams is a whole nother deal. Uh, but if you view that as an extension to the offense when you're having a kick return, then from that standpoint, you you give up the easy touchdown for Arkansas the other way after they have the short field from the fumbled kick return. And there were times that you, it was a little bit similar to the Kansas State game for, for a certain standpoint until you did actually mount the comeback. Like in the uh, Kansas State game, you, you had a chance. Um, you, you made the stop at the end of the first half of the Lonnie Phelps strip sack, and then you started with the ball in the second half. And I don't remember what the score was of the Kansas-Kansas State game at that point, but you were down a couple scores, maybe it was like 12 points, something like that. And you had the ball to start the second half that if you went down and scored, it was like, okay, we've arrived. It is a game for this second half. Kansas was down 31-13 to 13 at halftime of the Liberty Bowl. They start with the ball in the second half. And it's like, well, if they can go down and score, make it a two-score game, all right, now you're right back in this thing. Uh, we're unable to do that. Uh, they had it 38-23 with the ball and couldn't score on their first attempt at it. Um, but then they ended up getting the fumble, scoring the onside kick, and then scoring again. So it worked out. But there were points when there wasn't enough complimentary football there. And certainly for a defense that struggles, and and you could see how worn down and tired they were by the end of the game, it would have really helped for Kansas if they would have been able to sustain longer drives. Um, at the end of the day, your efficiency in scoring is what matters most for the scoring side of things offensively. Like if you only get four drives but you score four touchdowns, just because you only had 28 points doesn't mean it was a lower-end offensive game. You went four for four. You literally scored every one of your drives. But where where the time of possession thing matters, like if you win time of possession, it means nothing to you winning or losing the game. It's more about the efficiency, what you do at the ball. There are certain cases, though, that the time of possession, it is, it's an important stat. It's not the be-all, end-all. And last night, I think, was was part of it because for Kansas defense that that needed that extra rest – it would have been nice to have the ball for a little bit longer. And the only way that Kansas was able to move the ball consistently and to score those points, it was on quickly paced passing drives where you hit a bunch of big passing plays. They could not run the ball at all. 34 carries for 59 yards for Kansas. Now, if you get rid of the sack yardage, uh, certainly those numbers go up a little bit, but you're still only looking at like two yards per carry. They couldn't run the ball on their base plays. They couldn't run the ball on their option plays. Nothing was working for Kansas running the football and you couldn't sustain those drives because of it, and I think that came into play on the two-point conversion. If Kansas was out of two-point conversion plays, they could have just been like, well, here, we'll just run it up the gut. But guess what? That wasn't working all day long, so that wasn't really an option for you. Now, for Jalen Daniels, uh, this is note number three. Very mixed bag of a game for Jalen early. In the first half, it was like, yeah, he's moving the ball a lot. He's hitting some big throws, but there are a lot of throws that are maybe sailing on him. They're going a little high, and then, of course, he had the two interceptions. And then from the, I don't know, maybe the, from the second interception on or, or maybe midway through the third quarter, through the fourth quarter and into overtime on, he was the best player on the field. 
at the very least, for the KU offense versus the Arkansas defense. You can make the argument K.J. Jefferson, but I, I don't know. Jalen Daniels was really, really good uh, over the back end of that game. And I wonder if the slow start for him was just a matter of being too amped up. I mean, it's it's probably his first fully healthy game back. Like, the Texas game, he clearly wasn't 100%. The Kansas State game, I don't even know if he was 100% for that. He was certainly closer to it and looked a lot more like the guy we remembered. But that game, he certainly, from the physical traits and being able to take hits and, and those sorts of things, he was a lot more close to being 100%. So you get amped up for this big bowl game, and throws are going high for a guy who has a lot of arm strength. Like, that stuff would make sense. He even mentioned that in the post game in that audio we played for you earlier, that, yeah, he just kind of calmed down at some point, and that's how he was toward the end of the game. So I, I think that is what I would kind of define that to. Certainly, you would prefer that didn't happen early in the game because who knows, maybe you win the game in regulation if it doesn't. But the lasting impression that he gave you, what he did in the fourth quarter in the overtimes, is just remarkable. And, I mean, came up so clutch. Big play after big play. Two-point conversions, fourth down conversions, big third down. Hit some tight tight windows and throws. Just calm and collected in the pocket. And, by the way, the KU offensive line, they really struggled in run blocking, so it wasn't a perfect game. But in pass blocking, they were outstanding. How often did Jalen have time to just, you know, kind of just hop around in the pocket, sit there patiently waiting for somebody to open up and not be under pressure? A remarkable job by the offensive line, but also a good job by Jalen not to, you know, get get trigger shy with like, oh, I've been in the pocket way too long. Like, no, the line was doing well for him, and, and he held up with it. Uh, but I think now, especially after the, how the first half went, if that would have been the entirety of the game for Jalen, how the first half went, it would have certainly been like, man, we saw this this quarterback look so good in the first five games of the season. Then he suffered an injury, and we never saw him get back to it, whether it was a health thing or maybe that was just a hot run. I think what you saw at the end was confirmation that the guy we did see early in the year is the guy that we are going to see in 2023, and that was a cool impression to finish out the season with. Some other quick notes on our offensive side of it. Uh, Kansas certainly seemed to be throwing a lot of receiver screens. I wonder if that was something they found on tape to exploit Arkansas. Most of them worked very well. Uh, K receivers, on, on that note, were really good again. By far the best positional surprise of any unit this season. I mean, I would... The offensive line was really good. We worried about the depth, but we knew a lot of the starters were good. Dominic Pooney might be the biggest individual surprise, but like as a position, the receivers were so good this year. And that duo of of Luke Graham and Lawrence Arnold, who combined, had 18 catches for 286 yards and a touchdown. Statistically, they, they combined for like 1,300 yards. It doesn't jump off the page, but that is going to be one of the top receiver duos in the Big 12 headed into 2023. I'm excited the the jump that both of those guys can make. Jared Casey just continues to be so fun. He, he makes big blocks running the ball. Just follow him, and you'll know where the running play is going a lot of times. The play where he tries to, like, bully the guy into the the punt to be a, a, a fumble in Kansas ball, and then just every big two-point conversion or, or play around the goal line you need him to make, like, oh, he's going to make the catch, and, and he's going to find his way into the end zone. And then uh, I also wanted to make mentioned for Kai Thomas. I know the rushing stats aren't great. I think that was more of a product of Arkansas's defensive line beating up KU's offensive line just in terms of the running game going. So it was it was tough to get anything going there. But two touchdowns for Kai Thomas after kind of a lot of ups and downs with injuries and being maybe third string on the depth chart throughout the year to battle back and have a couple touchdowns and over 40 total yards. 
solid little performance to uh, end the season for Kai Thomas. On to the defensive notebook here. Arkansas broke the Liberty Bowl record for most points in a quarter. They did that in the first quarter with 24. Then they couldn't be stopped in overtime. So, you know, if you judge a book by its cover, it was the worst book of all time. Somewhere in the middle among those pages, though, KU did get a lot better. The stretch they had from the third quarter through, really after Arkansas went up 38-13. to 13. Uh, In the third quarter through the end of regulation, they had four or five straight drives that ended with punts or like a turnover, like you had the fumble. um, And in a lot of cases, they were just like three and outs. I thought Kansas was great on the short. Like overall, Arkansas had their way running on Kansas. At the very least, Kansas did a good job when it was like third and two, third and three, at least in that stretch of the game. They were able to plug those holes and, and, you know, shut down those third and shorts into being fourth downs and eventual punts. Uh, Now, I mean, it's kind of a weird game to evaluate the defense because on one hand, they got screwed with early turnovers. On the other hand, they had several chances in overtime to just make that one stop, right? It's it's not even that you had to stop them from scoring a touchdown. Just stop the two-point conversion or, you know, stop the triple overtime two-point conversion or, or something, and they just couldn't do that. Arkansas ran six plays in overtime, if you just count the non-PAT plays, so the two-point conversions and, and the actual plays, they scored on four of them, right? If you just prevent one of the two-point conversions. So bad start, even worse finish. Um, I do think that there's something to be said about how tired they are. And I guess basically what I'm saying is not everything went poorly. Like they at least, they got that big fumble. They got the big interception before the end of half. They were put into really tough situations in that first half with the fumbled kick return. Um, And all those stops that they made allowed you to tie it at 38 in addition to an onside kick and the offense going off. So I I guess what I'm saying, yes, it was not good, but it's closer to going right. It was closer to being an okay game for the defense than you might think. But then again, you also give up 394 rushing yards. You can't make a stop at the end when you really need it. You can't stop KJ Jefferson at all. Not a good performance after the time off. Certainly, we know what unit has to. I mean, Kansas, right now, they are 124th in the country in points allowed per game. They were 21st in offense. If the defense can't get better next year, and what happens if teams figure out the scheme a little more against Kansas next year, and Kansas drops to being the 40th best offense, which would still be a good season offensively, and then you have this bad of a defense That's how you drop down to maybe only winning four games next season. I'm not expecting that to happen, and my expectation is this team should win seven or more games, improve on what you did this year into next year, but it's clear the defense has to get better for that to happen, which, you know, they did give up a touchdown less this year than they did last year when you look at a big picture, but obviously not quite good enough. Uh, Quick note on the appreciation of Kenny Logan's toughness. Loved that. Um, I I thought O.J. Burroughs played well. I think he was KU's best defensive player. In fact, he was uh, voted as the defensive MVP. I didn't realize they did that for the bowl. I don't know if that's a Liberty Bowl specific thing or if that was a like just bowl game specific thing where they vote. Because I thought it was just like, oh, you just vote like a bowl MVP. So again, that might just be a Liberty Bowl thing. Um, but the fact that they gave O.J. Burroughs the individual defensive 
MVP for Kansas, I thought was very deserved for him. He uh, graded pretty well in coverage. I thought he was one of your more sure tacklers. Now I'm looking at pro football focus, and he did miss one tackle, but I remember him making some good tackles. Came up with the interception also. Um, so I, I thought it was well-deserved. It's interesting because KU just missed so many tackles, which has been really a theme in a lot of games. Rich Miller missed three. Kenny Logan missed three. Lonnie Phelps missed two. And then Burroughs, Bryant, Lassiter, Barry Hill, and Craig Young all missed one. So you total that up, and that's, oh gosh, I think 13 missed tackles for Kansas. And Lonnie Phelps, I think, would have ended up having a great game had those two missed tackles not happened. Both of the missed tackles were on potential sack plays of K.J. Jefferson. Because he ended up with six pressures. That's a lot of pressures for Lonnie Phelps. Malcolm Lee had three. Jeremy Robinson, Caleb Sampson had two. And then Withers, Bryant, and Young each had one. He had six of them individually. He also had a QB hit, five QB hurries. So if he gets him to the ground two more times, it would have been a fantastic game for Lonnie Phelps. So close to him having that kind of takeover dominant wrecking ball game. In the end, though, for the defense, the bottom line, going back to something was just talking about, I think Kansas just had too much fatigue. You know, at the beginning of the year, we talked about how much better the defense was and how much more depth they had on the two deep. And I still think those things were true. But I think even with some of that depth added, which we should say some of those players that were part of that at the beginning of the year were players like Monte McGarry and Jarrett Paul and Eric Gilliard and Gavin Potter and those guys through the course of the season or headed into the bowl game were no longer part of the team. So you did lose some of that depth. But even then, over the course of the season, even though the depth was better than it was a season ago, I think you found out they made a jump. It still wasn't a good enough jump to where you need to be. And you really saw the result of it in the overtime with how gassed and tired they were, and you didn't have maybe as much depth as you would have liked to be able to throw subs in there or to keep those starters a little more rested for that point in time. And I'm sure that's going to be something that they continue to try to address this offseason and uh, have already kind of gotten into the portal to, to certainly work on so far. All right, that is our KU offensive and defensive notebook for the Liberty Bowl between Kansas and Arkansas. Certainly not the finish that you wanted from the last play of the game, but certainly a phenomenal game and if they would have ended up losing 38-13, to 13, it's not that you would have been bummed headed into 2023. Like, you still would have gotten excited for the year based on the season Kansas had and all the guys that could come back for next year. But it certainly would have felt a little different than it does now where it at least still feels like you have a positive momentum arrow going into 2023, even despite you losing the game because there's enough to take away from there. You're just kind of looking for that defensive overhaul. All right, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some uh, Lance Leipold post-game audio from after the game. We'll share that with you coming up next.